Welcome to the first episode of the Ride Fat Bike Show. I For tonight, I'm your host, Ben Welnack, and with me, I have Jay Peterberry from Victor, Idaho. In case you've been under a rock in the fat bike world and haven't uh, heard what he ac- recently accomplished, he uh, set a new record on, at the uh, Iditarod Trail Invitational. Um, he did it in two days, 19 hours, and 16 minutes. And that, by the way, is a 350-mile race. So I wanted to get him on. Uh, you know, there's been some good interviews written about him, and I, I wanted to get a you know a chance to talk to him and hear his side of the story. So, Jay, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. Yeah. Not a problem. Yeah, no Always problem. willing to share. Yeah, great. It's perfect. Perfect. So, um, yeah. So how you... First of all, you know, I just, I want to know how you're feeling right now. What are you, are you recovered? Are you, uh, feeling good? Actually, um, I'm feeling okay. Um, I'm not quite sure how many weeks out we are, but we're, you know, we're probably a month out for sure, I guess. Right. Yeah. It's about that. Yep. Just over that. Um, and in recovery mode, I actually been thinking this is taking a little longer than my usual recoveries. Um, and I just sort of blame it on, um, I think these lot of these, sh- I say shorter, these, um, <laughs> three day style races, four days and things. When you're pushing limits with no sleep, they tend to tax me a lot longer than, um, you know, multi week event where I am just sort of managing sleep. So, um, you know, I feel, no, I've, I've been out riding, but feeling a bit lethargic and uh, still got a few numb fingers just from uh, positioning of the bike. But all in all, I feel good. You know, it's not like uh, the first time around, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and you just said no sleep, but we'll get to that when we get into the into the race. Three days, no sure. sleep. So people listen to that. We'll get, we'll get to there. Um you know, before we get to the talk about this year's race, I kind of wanted to, you know, we were talking before the show and, um, I want people to kind of get an understanding of where you're coming from. So, you know, there's a lot of people that have, you know, read about you and heard, you know, the divide, you know, you broke the record and divide this year. You've ridden it several times. You've done this race before. Um, you know, let's talk about your previous, uh, you know, races in Alaska. Um, you know, how many times you, you've done this several times, how many times have you raced, uh, the 350 mile route? Yeah. So this was, uh, my sixth run actually. Okay. Um, and that's the 350 then, or the thousand? Well, well, <laughs> it's always the 350. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. And then right. at times you go on to do 1100. So, and I, I've chosen to go on, uh, on three different occasions. And I finished the 1100 mile route twice. Okay. So, but I've completed the 350 each time. Um, and it was actually my second win of the event. Um, and definitely things have changed through the years, um, from the first time between yeah. now and, uh, more or less being, you know, uh, Alaska when was would be a when very, was that, when was that first, uh, what year was that first one that you did? Oh gosh, is it? Oh, you're catching me off guard here. That yeah. could be 06. Okay. It was 06. So, okay. Because it was the first year I did the Tour Divide as well. That was 06. 
So in 06, um, uh, in 05, I did my first winter race, uh, winter riding, and that was uh, the Susentino 100. I went to Alaska to do that, and um, I was just blown away by, you know, riding on snow and what's possible. And we, back then, it was sort of on a traditional style bike. And uh, I, I left that year from the Susentino saying, I want to come back and do this bigger event, the so-called uh, I did about I did a ride invitational, and um, with that I signed up, and so in '06 that was my first time, and I would say I was very caught up in it. I was, uh, you know, definitely geeking out on all the aspects of being prepared, uh, whether it's clothing or you know stoves and all the equipment that's involved with a sort of a winter expedition race. So were you, and, did uh, you do the rookie, you know, the kind of the rookie thing to do and just load up on all the gear? Definitely. <laughs> I, uh, there's a few, there's a few friends that remember me when I was training back then and doing that preparation year and, you know, full on, you know, front and rear rack and, uh, lots of stuff. So, um, but I would just say it's, it's being prepared. Um, you know, I was prepared to go out there by myself and survive the things that I needed to from what I could read of, whether it was the negative 40 degrees or going long distances without any shelter and things like that. I was prepared. And I learned a lot that year. Um, uh, I can almost maybe recall this being one of my, uh, one of the most difficult races I've ever done. Um, just being affected by the cold. It was definitely a very cold year, I can remember. Um, but just by nature, I, I am fortunate enough to be a, a stronger person physically and always pretty prepared going into events. Um, I was able to be in the front, and I was able to travel with two very experienced people. And um, I believe there was just sort of some mutual respect that went on there. Um, being those guys are saying, wow, this guy's pretty strong to be up here with all that equipment. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. me respecting them saying, damn, I can travel with these guys. These guys have been doing this forever. And yeah. Their bikes are half the weight. This is sweet. Yeah. Um, how, I much learned did, a lot. How, and, how much did your bike weigh? Do you know? Gosh, back then, I mean, it was definitely like 65 pounds for <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> you know, first generation pugs and, just uh, a lot of equipment, but prepared, like I said, you know. And then I can remember coming back from that event being like, wow, I never used really half of this. Yeah. Stuff. Well, um, it said, in, it said I, I don't know where I heard it. It might have even been you. Um, you know, I was reading through that article that Aaron Gully did on Outside Online. Um, and for people listening, if you haven't checked it out, go uh, just Google it. There's It's called A Conversation with Jay Peterberry. Uh, it's on Outside Online. Aaron's a great guy, does a great job good interview, you know, give some great detail. Um, but I don't know if I read it in there or if I read it somewhere, but it, it, people say with these kind of races that you carry your insecurities. Is that true? Did you, uh, were you, were you like that the first year? Like you, even though you prepared, you're still like, well, what if this, then you, you know, stick on. Totally. You, you, you end up just, uh, you know, you can only really, um, wear so much of your clothing. I, I think a lot of people will 
uh, tend to carry more clothing than needed, and that actually adds up with bulk as well. Bulk on a bike is terrible. Winter winter riding tends to have a lot of bulk, so um, things look really big when you're super prepared like that. So I think clothing is one of them where people just sort of put on, you know, they put in, oh, yeah, I'm going to bring in some extra long underwear. Well, what are you going to do with that? Like, you know, you only need one pair. You're going to dry it out if it gets wet. And um, there's just a lot of doubles that I think you end up bringing. And then, yeah, as a first-timer and not knowing uh, shelters in course and things like that, um, you probably start to bring some safety items such as a stove and fuel. Um, you know, most people, and, you know, I definitely don't recommend, especially being a first-timer, like, don't carry stove and fuel to McGrath. Like, you know, so that's something that experience will allow to ditch more gear. Um, and that's sort of what I think I've grown to today after doing it so many times and experiencing this, um, yeah, I don't carry a negative 20-degree sleeping bag um, like I have in the past. So you really just start to cut a lot of what your needs are um, and those insecurities, for sure. Um, is, is, it's has, it's has good there... to be prepared, but knowing what your kit can handle. Like, yeah. you really need to know what your kit can handle for you. Like, And I am one that does that. Like, you know, I will go outside on a trip and go sleep up the road next to the river at negative 20, and I will check to see if my summer bag will work. So, you know, I I prove it to myself, give myself the confidence before I actually go forward with it. And then since I have the experience and know the route, then I start to weigh that out. Hey, worst case scenario, you know, I look back at all those years. What if it was that year? Would I still be okay? And, you know, that's, you know, that's the, uh, that's the love of just having the experience. You know, you're definitely going to have a, you know, a few steps up on a rookie for sure. Um, I believe, um, I believe Bill Merchant, the organizer, he might have been quoted that a rookie will never win that event. (laughs) They've come close. Yeah. In fact, this year, this year. There was three of them, yeah. you know, a half hour behind me. Yep. So, I mean. <laughs> yep, exactly. But didn't win. But, no, and I think it was the experience. Yep, and we'll get that. to that, too, because oh. there was some definite uh, definite games going on. You know, you definitely had some good strategy going on there, you know. and uh, yep. But we'll get to that. Um, You know, first I want to, you know, you mentioned that first year, things you've learned over the years. Has there been any point in those races, because you've done it, I mean, you know, especially those thousand mile tracks. I mean, has there been any point in those six times that you've done this? Any point where you're like, oh crap, this is like, I'm not in a good situation. You know, that kind of made one you time. Re- Okay. And what was that? Uh, um, it was one time on the way to Nome. And, um, I don't know. I, I think it was about a, neg- uh, it was about a negative 50 degree night. And it was both Tracy and I together, and we've already been putting in some long days. And when I mean long days, you know, our days are 18 to 24 hours at a time. Mm-hmm. And we were on a big night. It's 3 in the morning. We're on the Yukon River, and it was a big effort day, and it was very cold. 
And the only thing I can really remember, I mean, I recall a lot of the whole situation, but I just, uh, I sort of remember um, where my mind just sort of, you know, said, hey, Jay, you know, wake up. Um, You're in a bad situation. And I wasn't wearing much of a jacket at the time. Um, I was very cold. I was very sleep deprived. I was just depleted overall. And I sort of just, uh, something knocked at me and I just started running. Um, I put a jacket on and I just started running. And I just remember sort of looking back and looking for Tracy's light. And ironically enough, um, these same, this sort of same feelings hit her. And whatever was going on with me was sort of going on with her as well. And, uh, I just felt like I was in a very dangerous situation as far as the cold. I, maybe I, uh, maybe that's the wrong word. I think I was in a very dangerous situation, but I just, something clicked in my mind and my body where I just, I didn't stop running until I got to the checkpoint or checkpoint, um, the village. And this was several hours away. I was able to see the light on the, sh- on the, uh, on the riverside and I knew the village was there, but you can always see very such long distances and I kept running and running. Finally made it, um, constantly looking back to make sure I seen a headlamp of Tracy's and it was just like a big relief getting there to the village, um, and knocking on someone's door and, uh, the people taking care of me. But it was, uh, I don't know how to describe that type of, you know, some people say they see the light or whatever it is. Um, it, it was definitely one of those moments. And it was the only time I've ever been nervous, scared, unsure in any event I've done. It was just that, that time. Um, but it, uh, it makes me realize, like, yeah, you can drift away to a different spot and not really know what you're doing. And because that's sort of what almost happened, I think. Okay. So, and you've, so, what have you done? You just, just through your experience. And like you said, going down the road and testing your stuff out. Now you, you know, you've taken, taken kind of the unsure part of it out of it. Is that what it is? Um, yeah. I mean, I definitely honed in all of that stuff. Um, you know, I mean, to not end up in that situation again, you know, I definitely can't say that that won't happen because I don't know, you know, I'm a person that will always push myself yeah. further and further. Um, but I also understand that there's a safety end of it and I am married and, you know, I want to live and ride my bike for as long as I can, but yeah. that's just sort of how serious it really is there. Yeah. And I, I, I think that needs to be known for sure. Yeah. It's not just something, you know, I keep saying it like people see these type of races and they hear about interview and hear you and read about it and they're like, Oh, I want to, I'm going to check that off my bucket list. And it's like, <laughs> hang on a second. It's not just something you just go yeah. and do. No. I mean, like you and, can, uh, like, it's not like riding, you know, during the summertime or, you know, like something like it's like totally. 60 below. It's you're dead. Right. I mean, there's no messing around. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, you throw that really cold weather into there and it's a brand new dynamic, yep. brand new event. Um, and it's a discipline in general, you know, mm-hmm. learning how to deal with that and the tricks of it and how to stay warm and all that stuff is, uh, so, so important. Um, it's not just riding a bike. Right. That's why I sort of call them ex- expedition style races. You know? Yep. And 
So, all right. So let's get to the race. Um, two days, 19 hours, 16 minutes. That breaks the record by like over nine hours. And okay. was that, was the previous record yours? No, no, no. Okay. No, was it last, Pete. last year Pete did it, right? Uh, it was actually. Or you did, sorry, you record, have the record, you have the record to Gnome. Sorry. And then. Uh, South record, cause there's okay. two routes. Yep. Okay. Okay. So I got the South record to Gnome. Um, and yeah, now I hold the, my grass. Um, and Pete set that. It's been a while now. Oh, last, year was really, actually, last year was really crappy. A lot of snow. Yeah. yeah okay. He, I think he set that record in 06, actually. Oh, okay. Wow. Which is even more yep. impressive. Yep. So, so, so you, you, um, like I mentioned before, you, you did this without sleeping. So sleeping and a broken ankle. So tell us about the, you know, the, the <laughs> sleeping aspect, um, you know, how you prepare, just how you prepare to do that. Do you normally just not sleep like a night or how do you, how do you do that? Um, when I'm home, I, you know, I sleep, uh, I would say probably more than average night. You know, I definitely, I like my eight hours, you know, I'm a, I'm a go to sleep early type of guy. Definitely by 10, sometimes at nine. Um, I don't mind getting up too early, but, uh, so I'm solid eight hours. So when, when it comes to sleep deprivation, um, it's not anything you can really train for. I mean, I don't feel it was just certainly my opinions and my experiences, but I think it's only something to experience. And the more you can experience it, the greater your, your personal knowledge will be with it and the more confidence you can gain with it. Um, sleep deprivation is one of those, uh, negative thoughts on people. So immediately people think negative things of it. Oh, I can't do that. Or, you know, you know, I don't know. They just get very negative about it. And, um, and I think it's just because they don't have the experience with it or they're afraid to experience it or question the experience. And personally, I've been doing long distance racing for, you know, a solid 18 years and it's all been long distance racing. So I have, I might, you know, I, I can say I have a fair amount of experience with sleep deprivation and I've challenged it in different ways. And, um, for a number, I, I used to like not sleep at all in team efforts and, uh, multi-sport racing, adventure racing. Mm-hmm. And we'd go five, six, seven days with just several hours sleep. And I thought it was one of the most miserable things ever. So, uh, then I backed off of it and I would manage my sleep. In all these events, whether there are three days or multi-weeks, I'd be like, oh, no, you know, let me try four hours a night and let me see how I feel. Let me try three hours a night. But I always thought sleep was the better thing. And then the past year or more, I've been going back to the no sleep on these types of events because the competition, the equipment, the, there, there are no secrets really in this stuff anymore. You know, it's pretty open. I'm willing to share anything that I have. So there are, I wouldn't say that there's too many tricks of the trade that are sort of hidden and that's going to give an advantage. There used to be, I would say, certain tricks that were an advantage that people weren't aware of. But I think that's all away now. Mm-hmm. And the competition's tough. The, the equipment's there. Everyone has access to all this stuff. 
thanks to the internet, um, blogs, blah, blah, blah. There's plenty of stuff out there. Um, so I, in an event like this, going into it, I, I told myself beforehand I wasn't going to sleep. Like, so that was a strategy going into the event, I would say. That was probably my only strategy. I said, you know, I'm going into this sort of last minute. Um, I wasn't training for it all winter. And I said to myself, these guys are solid. I know my competition. I know these guys. I've raced against them. They're great. They're great athletes. And it, and if they've been training, they're definitely even better athletes than me at this moment. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been. like, you know, third place, Jeff Oatley, fourth place, Kevin Breitenbach, both of those guys, I mean, they finished, you know, Arrowhead, uh, Jeff was second and Kevin was third right behind him, like five minutes behind him at Arrowhead 135. So, yep. I mean, these guys are, you know, they're in shape. Those guys crush it. Yeah. <laughs> those guys crush it. They're fast, yep. you know, and I know that. And so, yeah, I was nerd, like going into this event, like I love to do the adventure. So with the opportunity, I'm like, oh, well, heck yeah, I'm going to do the adventure. Um, yeah, but it's two weeks before. So then I think to myself, well, gosh, Jay, you're you're not so confident in your fitness. I mean, you feel okay with it, but I know there's another aspect to it. And so I knew going into this, the only way that I would be able to do anything is if the only way I could challenge them is if I challenged them on the strategy end, you know, the chess game and the sleep. And uh, that was it. I said I wasn't going to go to sleep. I wasn't going to sleep. And when I tell myself something like that, um, I tell myself weeks in advance or however much time I have, and I, I sort of – it's sort of weird. I, I, I sort of train my mind in a way that that's how I'm going to do it, and I will not do it any other way. So when I am in the event, it's not an option because I've already decided that I wasn't going to do it. No matter how tough that time is, especially on the third night, I've already went into this thing I wasn't going to sleep. So I'm going into the third night telling myself, and I'm surrounded by four other competitors, I already knew I wasn't going to sleep. It wasn't a conversation for me. Yeah. So with And I don't share this stuff with my competitors at the moment, yeah. like, cause this is, you know, you keep strategy to yourself. If you share strategy, well, how good was that? Unless <laughs> you're telling someone a lie, which I, I can do that too. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so, you know, when it came down time to that in the third night, they're discussing sleep and another guy's sort of sleeping at the table. Like I already knew in my head, this, I wasn't doing that. Yeah. And so, I'm okay with that. Yeah, so let's, uh, you know, you mentioned that third night, but let's just, I kind of want to recap for people that, you know, are listening that don't have the time to check all the results yeah. and that stuff. But, you yeah, know, yeah, so yeah. you're basically, you're riding through about, uh, 130, Winter Lake, which is 130 miles. You're like 20 yep. minutes up on these guys that you've been riding with pretty much all day. Um, yeah, and that was, uh, that was a moment of strategy right there. Yep. And like, Going into the first night, we're all the same, you know. I mean, it takes, for me, I think these events take me like 24 hours to sort of get into the groove. Okay. I've got to feel things out. i got to see what's happening. Um, and that first bit was definitely like that. And 
you know, and I evaluate. I see how everyone's doing. I just sort of see what moves are taking place, see what kind of um, um, personalities these people have going into this. And and I just sort of took notice that, uh, you know, there, you know I, I, I sensed that there was a little bit of uh, group re- effort riding maybe a little bit, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think the three rookies were definitely, like, not letting go of Jeff. You know, I sensed that pretty quickly um and then so after the first night it was like sunrise morning we're coming across a cabin and uh there was discussion about stopping in and getting breakfast and it's not an actual checkpoint it's just someone's cabin and you know when okay that's what they did you know and um i thought this was like a one time i could try to break away you know okay these guys are gonna stop well I'm going to skip this stop and I'm going to eat my breakfast up the trail because I carry certain supplies that allow me to do that. And that's what I did. So what kind of, so those guys stayed, what, what kind of breakfast did you, when they, when they stayed back there, what kind of breakfast did you pull out? Like what do you carry that you eat that you can just pull it out and eat that and be satisfied? Uh, so I went, I, I, yeah, I went into the cabin and, said hello to the owners uh and i filled up i i carry a thermos on my bike okay and i filled up my thermos with hot water boiling water and you know i think i slammed the coke while i was there but i was out of there so i was out of there in 10 to 15 minutes okay you know but in the meantime i hear them ordering breakfast (laughs) i see a couple of them lying down trying to quick grab quick z's and i'm like yep see ya and I went up the trail with my hot water, and um, I had oatmeal and hot cocoa and some other type of, like, tram bar style mix. Um, so, you know, I, I carry instant potatoes, ramen noodles, and oatmeal packs. That's my emergency hot food, so I don't need to stay somewhere or... I can just even add, add cold water to that stuff, and it gives me calories. Yeah, that's sort of just that's just sort of a little emergency thing that I that's a backup thing that I rely on. Yep. And so yeah. you so, you, so you, you got a little a little break there, but then they what they they tracked you down. Yeah. So then I do this section of trail, and I'm all fine. So at this point, you know, you consider me leading the race, and those guys are back there. Of course, we're both thinking they're like, oh. Is this where, are we ever going to see him again? I'm sure they're thinking that. And I'm, to myself, I'm like, hmm, I wonder how long they're going to stay there. Are they just going to close in on me? And so the whole day, I negotiated a trail, which was, you know, probably the least of the best trail out there and uh, tricky riding. And I get to Finger Lake, and I know what Finger Lake's about. You get a hot meal. It's your first drop bag. Things are sweet. Um but that section of trail actually took a lot longer than it usually does, which was odd because every other section of trail went twice as fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just sort of sitting there with my feet up, you know, I was constantly putting my feet up due to my ankle and I was eating some food and talking with the owners of Finger Lake and just having a good time. Um, but those guys walked in basically 20 minutes after me. <laughs> and so I just sort of looked over, oh, sweet, hey, what's up, guys? You know, just... Whatever, friendly with everyone all the time. Yeah, but yeah. bottom line is, it is a competition, and that's really what's driving. Mm-hmm. So um, at that point, 
as soon as I seen him, I was just like, okay, well, there's probably not going to be any breaking away from anybody. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain pressure that one will receive when they, um, when they are leading the race. And I know that pressure because I'm often someone who likes to do that. Um, at this particular, this was a, a, I learned a lot from this event because this is one of the first times that I actually stepped back and said, I don't want to be the guy that's setting the pace. I want to be the guy that's just trailing. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, there was just too many things going on with myself. I needed to really take care of myself. I knew how important that was. And so at that time, I mean, those guys came in, so it's, you know, that's another four. And then, um, our friend from Minnesota, Buffington, came in. There's another that's five, and all those guys took off before I did. And I was in no rush. Um, they ate, they got the drop bags together, and they split. So, I mean, I did the same thing, but I just sort of took my time at it, okay. knowing I knew what section lied ahead. Usually, it's very difficult. It uh, goes up this big valley, gets to be rolly, it could be very technical. And I was like, I don't want to leave this. So, <laughs> and that's it's funny because I, I was doing, I did the first uh, Katie Merchant and I did a couple updates, and uh, the first one we did was not too long after that, and we're like, you know, discussing how you know you fell off the pace, and I I asked Katie, and I, she, you know, do you think he's just resting up for that section coming up? And she's like, Yep, pretty much. So, yeah, yep. that section is always, you know. It's an ass kicker, for yeah, sure. Yeah. So, but basically, you know, and I mean, if I let someone leave, I'm not nervous about letting someone leave before me. I mean, you know, what's, you know, what's 10 minutes? What's a half hour? Mm-hmm. In reality, what's an hour or two? Right. In a race <laughs> right, long? exactly. This is the very beginning. We're getting into a difficult section, and the next section beyond that is even a bigger crux. So... And so I know, and I'm feeling pretty comfortable, and and so I leave, whatever, after, and then, you know, with before you know, within a few hours, I have caught up to them. So now all of a sudden, I feel fine again, right? I'm not really chasing anymore. You know, when you, when you chase with no one in front of you, you're like, you're going to try to hunt them down. Mm-hmm. So whatever, put in that little bit of an effort to sort of cruise along, nothing crazy, but yeah, um, there again, I see them. Uh, I see the people ahead, perfect. And um, I just sort of stayed back. I uh, never really, never took the reins. I never felt like I needed to push by them because they were taking a break when I caught up to them. I just sort of lagged back. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you at any at any point were you uh, at any point were you holding your their, your light so they couldn't see that you were behind them? No, no, I didn't really have to play <laughs> okay, that game okay. because it was just like we knew. I, I, I think everyone felt that no one was really going to be shaked. Okay. Um, I think yeah. I think we all knew that it came down to checkpoint style stuff. You know, who was going to make the mistake? You know, who was going to have wet feet? You know, there's all these different things that can happen up there. But at the same time, it was a year where those things really couldn't happen. Or they could have, but they didn't. Um, there was no extreme temperatures. There was no negative 30, you know, for extended period of time. There was no um, pushing. 
There was no epic waist deep pushing, and that will usually, um, you know, put some sort of handicap to people. Mm-hmm. But this was just a this was a ride, you know, and it was a strategic ride for sure. Um, and I always I always like to say that snow is the great equalizer because <laughs> the guy next to you can put in like 110 percent, think he's going to break out. He's putting in all this effort, and the guy got like five minutes ahead. Of <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, snow is definitely that way, and um, so it's pretty funny. Um, and so I, it was pretty satisfaction. I'll just sort of lie back a little bit, and um, you know, by the time we got up to that next point, Puntilla, before Rainy passed, I got into that checkpoint. I think like five or ten minutes after them. Yeah. And um and actually I sort of like cruxed out for a little while. I like had the sleep monster hit me a little bit. And um the the riding by the way through that section was the best riding I ever had. It was like riding sweet single track. <laughs> it was amazing. And um I, I the sleep monster hit me that evening before getting to the cabin and for some reason I must have had a time lapse and I was like I thought like I was like hours back or an hour back or something. <laughs> and then like so when you I finally get to the cabin in, and all the boys are just like strung out in the cabin and this is like at midnight and I walk in and I sort of look at the timesheet and I was like, Oh, these guys just got here five minutes ago <laughs> I was like, sweet. Yeah. So when you just, you know, when you say sleep monster, cause people don't really know, you know, they haven't been to that point. Mm. What, what do you, what yeah. happens to you? What do you mean? Like, what is that? So sleep monster, I describe that as, a, um, you know, when you're, when, you know, when you're lacking sleep, um, when your eyes are trying to shut <laughs> and your mind is drifting and you can't really concentrate and you're starting to weave from side to side on your bike, like, that's what I call the sleep monster. The sleep monster is like that guy on the shoulder. It's the little devil dude on the one side of your shoulder that's saying, come on, man, let's go to sleep. (laughs) And and later um, on you actually see that guy, right? (laughs) After like two days. You just might. Yeah. But you just need to realize in the moment of where you're at, um, and you try to shake them, you know, you're doing whatever you can to shake them. You're, you know, maybe rubbing snow on your face. Maybe you brush your teeth with some friggin' minty toothpaste or eat a bunch of chocolate or maybe you got espresso beans, you know. I mean, there's, there's things to do, you know. Maybe you put the music on. I think that's what I ended up doing that evening, actually. Um, and yeah, that, that's the sleep monster. It's, it's that guy that's like tugging on you to be like, yeah, come on, man. Just go to sleep. But if you start to think about going to sleep or you tell yourself, oh, yeah, this looks like a good spot. Maybe I'll just take a nap. You're done. Like, you can't have that conversation with yourself. And it's, it's, a, it's a really hard thing to do because it comes down to that experience with uh, sleep deprivation. Yeah. Like, to have that conversation with yourself and not fall into that trap of, oh, yeah, I'll just lay down here for a minute. Like, yeah, before you know it, it was like two hours later or something. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, some people think, you know, like a, just a 24-hour lap race that you hit that point, you're nowhere near it. 
in that kind of race. Cause you know, the 24 yeah. hour racing around, like I've felt, you know, between like one and 4 AM, like I felt the best. That's, I look forward to it. Cause you're all jacked up and you're like riding, you get into the groove, you know, you don't have time. Like that's not long enough. So people don't, that's why I wanted you to explain it because it's totally different. <laughs> it's totally different. And, and as the days go on, it could be, it could be different how it affects you. Um, and I think the moon has something to do with it. Um, your stoke level, like, I don't know. My last few years, I've really become strong with my mental end of things. And um, it's just so important. Like, you got to be stoked on what you're doing. You can't be afraid of that sleep monster guy. You've got to have that confidence that you can overcome it and, that we're human beings, that we can do amazing things and believe in yourself. And the more you can feed yourself of that, and, like, like I don't think that's being cocky or anything. That's just, like, having the right attitude. It will show later on. Like, so in those evenings, when that's happening, like, I don't have the discussion of sleep with myself. I don't say, oh, well, Jay, if you get two hours, you're going to feel so much better. Like, because I already know that's not true. I've already done that stuff. Like, getting two hours of sleep, I'm not going to feel that much better, personally. Um, so when I go into that zone or whatever, I just uh, I try to, yeah, really remember. You know, I, I think that has a lot to do with it, too, is, like, going back. Remember what you were thinking beforehand because – and what I mean beforehand, I mean like the weeks leading up to the event. What what were your goals? What were your what was your strategy? Because it's very easy to lose those goals, strategy, thoughts when you're in the moment. Hmm. Um, especially in a sleep deprived moment. Yep. So, um, so you, it's easy to cave in. It, it's a weak. Uh, I'd say it's, it's it's sort of a weak mind. You know, yeah. a strong mind is going to pull you through that. Yep. And yeah, no, it's, it, it is, but I think on that, on the same side, it does take experience to, to strengthen what you, you know, what you, what you have there potentially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never, like, I, I always blame everything I do on my experience. Yeah. I mean, talking to you, (laughs) if this would have been 15 years ago, you'd have been like, there's, maybe I could do it. I have no idea if I could go, you know, race, race that in three days and not sleep, but. You had it in you, so so you, exactly. you roll into the cabin. You know they've only been there for five minutes. You know what? What now? I, I, I think at this point, you know, knowing that rainy passes ahead, the Alaskan Range, the so-called crux of the event, uh, many stories from crossing uh, the pass. You know, I've been over it at that point five different times. You know, it's taken me anywhere from 15 to 30 hours to get to that next checkpoint. Um, And so at this point, it's generally uh, a a tension. There's a tension at this checkpoint because once you leave there, you are committed to go up and over the pass and down the other side Um, because usually the wind is very high. And uh, you're committed to pushing, generally. <laughs> um, and so walking into the cabin, see some bodies sprawled out. I could, it's, it's, you know, it's midnight and, you know, 
sort of that whispering tone is going on a little bit just because, yeah, it's night and whatever, even though it doesn't matter. But that that, uh, that ambiance is there, just a little bit of silence. I sensed some maybe strategy might have been talked about amongst them. And maybe it wasn't <laughs> Let's take this strategy guy out. me in yeah. any way. Okay. It's more like it's more like, hey, uh, how long should we sleep for? You know, those conversations were probably going on, or when I walked in, just the whispering, and I more or less just stayed to myself, um, even though it's a small little cabin there, because um, they were already sprawled out, clothes hung up, and sort of lying down already. And I just uh, it sounds fun. Did my own thing. It sounds fun. It's, like it it's sounds awful. like you get in there and they're like you know, whispering and you get in and like, oh, he's here, you know, like, that yeah, just seems good. Cool. It's like, yeah. And it's just like, okay, yeah, okay. And there's soup in there and there's a wood stove. It was fucking, oh my God, it was like a hundred <laughs> degrees in there. Yeah. It was brutal. It was so hot. You know, they get that wood stove going in those yeah. cabins and I mean, you're just sweating, but you need to dry your clothes. So you immediately strip down, you know, and actually at that cabin, I like stripped down to nothing and just like, was trying to air myself out because it was actually a very warm race. So, you know, a part of this type of racing is self-maintenance. And I really don't want wet shorts or a wet bottom. So I'm trying to air up my shorts, dry my bottom, dry my clothes. I'm shoving down food all at the same time. But I'm also thinking to myself, like, okay, yeah, this is a, this is a move here. Who's going to be the first one to move over the pass? Who wants to break trail over the pass? That's generally, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's more like the question. Who's going to break the trail? Okay. Whoever's going first is probably going to do it. Um, so I did my thing. Never really spoke to the other. I didn't ask when anyone else was leaving. I just sort of, uh, I lay down and I could see those guys lying down. I set my alarm um, for whatever. I think it was 1 o'clock or something. So it gave me like, I think it gave me an hour and a half of rest is what I was looking for. But basically, I just wanted to, uh, I wanted just to wait to see what they were doing without asking. Yeah. So, um, and I'm also trying to prepare myself. So I'm airing things out and immediately I'm lying on a bed with, you know, with my feet very high up against the wall, especially, you know, my ankle side, mm-hmm. broken ankle, whatever. Um, yeah, so, whatever. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> and then, um, so it was, you couldn't sleep in there. It was too, it was literally that hot. Like I'm naked with like a blanket half over me, feet up, sweating. <laughs> but it's better than being outside. So doing the deal, resting it out all of a sudden, um, before my alarm even goes off, the boys are sort of rummaging getting around i just stayed in my upright position lying down just sort of watched them do their thing and they disappeared uh being four four of the guys and um at that point i think even a one or two other people came in in that hour maybe and um i just sort of watched them do their thing and as soon as all of them cleared out then i got up and did my thing and uh then i exited um, and it turned out that, uh, the trail was amazing <laughs> from them or um, it was just amazing to begin with. It was amazing. You know, there was no wind in the valley leading up to the pass. It was just a beautiful evening. Um, 
you know, a little squirrely snow, but, you know, it wasn't a highway by any means. I mean, it was, you know, you worked for your riding, but uh, just amazing that it was riding and it wasn't snowy and windy. I mean, that was amazing in general. And then getting to the mouth of the pass, I mean, it was like you could almost ride up the pass. Um, uh, there was places that you could, uh, but otherwise, I mean, pushing on hard pack is no big deal. Um, and then, you know, cresting the pass in a loose run down the other side for, like, amazing riding. Like, earlier I said, yeah, that's like 15 to 30-hour run, and we did that run in eight hours. Hmm. Yeah, that's... <laughs> so, I mean, and at that point, so, riding so... along, I pretty much, um, I had those guys, like, in my sight due to headlamps. Okay. But I, this was the only time I never really caught the guys or had them close in my visual distance besides headlamps. So, you know, I mean, ripping down the backside, boom, you fall down onto a frozen river, and then you ride this frozen river for about a, you know, not a half hour up to the checkpoint. And, gosh, it was just such a hoot. The snow bridges going down the gorge were amazing, and just it was a phenomenal ride. And so, but in the meantime, of course, I'm thinking, oh, you know, where's the pod up front? How far ahead are they? Blah, blah, blah. I haven't seen them, you know, all evening or all morning. And then, um, you know, and, and I'm also strategizing for myself. Okay, so I'm going to pull into Roan. What am I going to do? Because I'm always trying to think what I'm going to do before I get there. And my strategy is it, was, is that know, part of no big deal. Is that part of kind of setting your plan out so you don't deviate from it? Or is that just... Just kind of what you do. Yeah, it, you, yeah. I think you want to have a plan going into it. You know? okay. Definitely. And it's kind of like in the morning. I mean, obviously the plan is just to get in there and get out of there. Just do what you need to, but don't rush, you know? Yep. It was just one of those. Uh, okay. And at the same time, I was curious where the other guys were because I haven't seen them. But uh, so I pull into Rhone. You know, with the idea they're going to eat, just take care of myself and move on. You know, I wasn't going to rest, um, not at 10 in the morning. Um, so I get there, and um, the pod is there, and that was cool to see. Um, and it's still four other guys. Of, I just want to re- yep, remind people, guys. it's still four other guys, so it's a good, good yep, pod. Still four guys. <laughs> yep, four guys up front, and they were all there, and a couple of them were sort of undressed a little more than others. And you no, know, this is a this is a point where you make a decision. Like you know, I I know that Jeff needs to try to shake these guys. Each one of them need to shake each other, but I don't know if they necessarily know that at this point. But this is the spot to do it if you're going to try to do something. And um, I was only I was only there just for a few minutes, and and, and mind you, I'm super good friends with Jeff. Um, Jeff Oatley and the other three, I know two of them very little, the other one not at all. So, and Jeff and I have competed, we've traveled together a bunch here. So, and I'm, I'm sort of like rooting for Jeff in front of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, he's standing there, he never stripped down, he was just eating something, and I was only there for a few minutes. He's like, I'm out of here. And he checked out. And how, I'm grinning inside me saying, sweet, he's going to shake these guys. But 
then meanwhile, one says, oh, my gosh, I didn't expect him to do that so quick. And he scrambled, got his stuff together, chased him down. The other one did the same thing. The other one did the same thing. So um, I just sort of thought it was funny how one reacted to the other's response. And I, and I get it for sure. Um, and I just sort of did my thing and left a little bit after whatever. And then uh, throughout the next section, which is a pretty big section, it's usually bitter cold, wasn't too bad, though. Um, I've seen those guys, you know. I would catch them. I'd catch them within distance of visual, and then I would just sort of just sort of hang. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't really want to. And I'm super social and super friendly and love people, but um, I didn't want to travel with I'm racing. Yeah. I, I didn't want to travel with anybody, and I didn't want anyone to impact me, and I didn't want to impact anybody else. So I just stayed back. And uh, I did that throughout the day. I've seen them a few times, but I would never actually really catch up. And if I did, I would definitely be the last person to sort of roll off. You know, people would be like, yeah, go ahead. I'd be like, no, I'm good, man. Go ahead. <laughs> and I just lagged back. And I did that throughout the day. And then uh and then finally I didn't see him for a while, so just traveling, you know, pretty much like to travel by myself and then I caught up to him at something that's called uh Sullivan Bridge, it's a spot to get water. And then generally after that bridge it turns into more of a highway because there's travel from the village out to that watering bridge. And uh it's still more than a few hours away. But from that point, I stayed with them the whole time because now we're going into the last checkpoint. And knowing that they were in front of me, I didn't want to lose them anymore. Like, I want to go into this last checkpoint together. Um, and fortunate enough, um, I did stay with them. Um, there was a huge headwind involved throughout the last few hours of that ride into Rome. And uh, we sort of just all stayed together and everyone's being happy and good. And <laughs> Yeah. Now we're pulling into the last checkpoint, and, you know, I know Jeff knows this is it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the last checkpoint. It's 50 miles to the finish, and it's a very flat and can be a highway and fast trail. Um, I don't know how much the other guys know about but whatever. This is the last. This is it. Yeah. And um, I also know this is a, this is a portion of trail that, Jeff has typically always made several hours, and literally a couple hours, on the person that's in front of him. So I know this. Mm-hmm. Um, I also know that from riding with these guys for the last two days, that I personally thought their physical ability was greater than mine. So if it came down to a physical game, like I would have lost. And, um, so I'm being pretty sensitive, like going into this last checkpoint, but I also knew going into this last checkpoint, like I already made up my mind what I was going to do. Like I always do. I said, I'm going to get in and out of here. (laughs) And I think they're going to have a hard time with that. And so we did pull into that last checkpoint and at somebody's house had a great spaghetti dinner, um, some pastries, you know, Couple of two, three cokes. You so know. you're lu- so you're luring these you're luring these guys into it, aren't you? 
what do you mean? I'm not luring <laughs> So you sit down and eat with them and they're thinking, all right, cool. We, you know, we're going to, we'll crank this thing out, right? Uh, maybe. I mean, that's, yeah. that's yeah. not what I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Well, no, that's what I mean. That is might be what. Yeah, that's what I mean is you got these guys thinking that you're, you're going to, you know, hang with them, rest up, do whatever. Well, yeah, I, I never, uh, yeah, like I'm certainly trying and hopefully they do settle in, you know, that's the idea, but you know, I'm not doing it in a way like, oh yeah, let's go to sleep right now, but I'm just oh, no, doing that's, my thing. Right, right. That's not what I meant. I, I guess yeah. you were just kind of hanging with them, you know, kind of seeing how it was playing out and they're just seeing know. how it's playing out. Yeah. And I could immediately sense like, you know, I think the rookies were discussing sleep. And um, so for me to realize that, that's awesome, right? Because I already know what I'm doing. I'm not sleeping. I'm going to leave here in like 10 minutes. Yeah. I don't say that, <laughs> but I know that's what I'm doing. I'm just waiting for everyone else to tell or say what they're going to do. That's what really what I'm waiting for. Um, and then as soon as I know what that is, then I'm going to decide what I'm going to do, ultimately. Um, so, okay, you got, you know, a couple of guys discussing sleep, wondering what to do, and then the sleep monster got Jeff at the table. He was sleeping at the table. Uh-huh. Um, and then and then I watched him lay down just sort of on the, on the ground, sort of next to me. He's just catching Z's, and Jeff does that, and that's awesome because he can literally, like, sleep for, like, 10 minutes and then get up and go. And I think that's awesome. Um, but he sort of crawled away into one of the bedrooms. And at that moment, I walked over and put my shoes back on, and I started getting ready to walk out the door. And, uh, you know, I could hear some of the other guys saying, Hey, Jeff, how long do you want to sleep for? You know, just a little bit of a little bit of chatter that way. And, and that's great. And I just continued to get ready, and I said, all right, guys, see you later. And uh, I just remember one guy being like, Dad, you're leaving now? I'm like, yeah, man, anyone want to join me? I'm all good. And all I heard was, ah, I think we're going to rest for a little bit, but we'll see you in a little while. And I'm like, sweet, out of here. And I just sort of left. You know, I wasn't at that checkpoint for more than a half hour. And um, it was awesome. I, I left there, like, pretty smiley, pretty stoked. I'm like, okay, there's going to be <laughs> there's four people settling in now. I mean, it might only be a half hour. Like, at this point, I have no idea, right? Mm-hmm. I'm leaving. They might sleep for a half hour. They might sleep for a couple hours. Of course, I'm hoping a couple hours. Um, and I went on the trail. Immediately, I had some issues. I just ate a huge meal. I'm freaking hotter than anything from the food, just like body process. It's really as cold. Like you drop down onto a river. It wasn't nearly as cold in the river as I thought. So I got too much on. So I'm adjusting my clothing. The river's uh, pretty frozen. So I'm pumping up tires. I'm just sort of making all these adjustments to, you know, all these fine tuning adjustments before you can really get rolling. And then um, the sleep monster got me for, I'd say, almost closer to two hours. I um, I fought the devil for a little while, uh, weaving, weaving, falling, doing that deal. And uh, there's a point where, once again, I just sort of, something knocks on me. 
I wake up and there's a moment of like, hey, Jay, are you serious? Like, you can, you can take this right now if you want. And you're, you're way ahead of the record. You can get record. You can win. What are you going to do? I sort of woke up. My knees were bothering me pretty bad at this moment. I took an ibuprofen or two, whatever. I chugged one of those five-hour energies, which I've <laughs> never had in my life. Yeah. Never had one. I've carried them long distances, but never drank one. So finally, I drank this thing, took those ibuprofen. I put some music in my ears, and I swear, I think I was, like, up and out of the saddle for, like, six hours. Um, and it was awesome. I was smiling. I was thinking good thoughts. Definitely kept looking behind me. It was like one of those days. It wasn't quite full moon because it was after full moon, but there was enough light from the moon that was reflecting off the open snow that you didn't need a headlamp. And so just like, you know, crushing frozen river miles and loving it, smiling, saying, oh, my gosh, I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. And, um, yeah, uh, you know, another thing was like when I was back in Rome, like at that last checkpoint, like I actually finally took off the dressings that were on my ankle and um, it felt awesome because then all of a sudden I had like good mobility. I wasn't so stiff in my ankle and so all of that felt really good and I was just like a really stoked person and um you know, rode into the, watch the sunrise and rode to the finish. And I was never like finishing that event. I was just like, so jumping up and down. Like I've never done that before in my life. <laughs> because of the satisfaction of it all. I was like, this was so awesome. Like, cause I truly felt like it was a, I truly felt like it was a game, you know, it was like a, you know, it was, it was a chess game a little bit. And, mm -hmm. um, that to me like meant a lot more than just going out and winning a race or something. Mm -hmm. um, and then just overcoming those like obstacles that I felt that I had in front of me that I overcame. And to me, proving that to myself had me that happy and that stoked. Like it, it, it really wasn't like, I wasn't happy and stoked because I won and set the record. I was happy and stoked because I, like, overcame these other things. And with that, these other things came. And, um, like, that's just, yeah, that's just me, like, taking myself to the next level. And now, like, that's, to me, that's one of the biggest accomplishments I've done to this date. And I can take that full experience and all that knowledge I just learned from that one event. That's going to go really far for me, I think. Um and yeah, so that's sort of the whole thing in a nutshell. Actually. Yeah, and and you, you know, you had a couple hours on them leaving that last when they went to sleep, and they hammered. I mean, they caught. You knew they were going to come. You know, you knew they were going to come on strong. <laughs> were you at any point? You know, you said you were. You know, smiling those last few hours. It was just you know fantastic. Were, were you thinking about them looking back at all, or were you just like, all right, I got this. I know I got this. I'll just keep it. I did you know. for, you know, definitely for a long time in that evening and, you know, into the morning. I I was definitely like, these guys, you know, like I didn't doubt, like, you know, because I knew they could. They can catch me, and they did, really. Um, but 
I would say in the last, like, probably the last two hours, I was finally feeling like I got it. I freaking got it. I mean, I never gave up on it. I never really, to me, I thought I was pushing it. Um, so I thought that was really cool for sure. Yeah. Well, congratulations. So it's yeah. pretty big. Yeah. So, so, you know, my question, and I'm sure a lot of other people, you know, read stuff and listen to this. Why, why do you do this? <laughs> Oh my God. Why do you put yourself through, why do you put yourself through two days, almost three days of, you know, no sleep, you know, eating that and, you know, going through this, what, you know, what keeps moving you forward? I know it's, that is an awesome question. I receive it a lot. Um, um, first of all, it's something I really enjoy. Um, this is, this is a hobby for me. Um, I pay to do this stuff. Um, so I better enjoy it. Um, and, and almost like I was just describing to you those feelings that I had, those mm -hmm. in the end, that's what it's about. Um, just it's self satisfaction, like being able to do this. Like I feel I am very lucky and fortunate that I can even do this. Um, and then I have the, the the physical ability, the mindset to do it, um, and then to enjoy it. There's a that's another great thing. Um, and I, I enjoy a challenge. I I am a competitive person, so yeah, I could just go out and ride my bike and go do this stuff as tours. But no, I want to compete. There's a competitive side to me, um, and that's just who I am. So uh, that drives me as well. And whenever there's a, you know, a challenge. I, I enjoy a challenge. And if I can make, if there's a way that the challenge is harder, I mean, I, I'm willing to take that as well. Um, so, yeah, it's just a lifestyle and what I enjoy. You know, some people, you know, like to sort of read books and hang out on their couch and watch TV and I like to push my body and know where it's going to go. And I, I've, I've yet to, I, I've yet to reach that point where I think I can push myself the furthest. And it sounds weird, but I'm, I'm, I'm really curious of that. And uh, I'm always looking and wanting to explore where I can take myself next, uh, sort of mentally and physically. So, so. You, you know, you, you mentioned with that, um, two things going on here. I, I want to ask you about, you know, where you think you can go, but first, first I want to ask you what, you know, the whole broken ankle. So you're like, you know, what, like, I don't know how many weeks off of a, breaking your ankle and were you concerned at all? <laughs> I mean, was there any, like, were you going into it? You're like, Definitely. okay, it's good. I got it wrapped where, you know, it's, I'm confident <laughs> it's got some, I can put pressure on it. Or were you like, ah, let's just do it. Uh, uh, yeah, there was definitely, um, so I was about three weeks out with a broken ankle and yep, went to the doc, had an x-ray, all that great stuff. Um, I've had other injuries in my life, um, broken bones and torn ligaments, the whole nine yards. And, um, I'm, uh, I, I believe in doctors and uh, uh, surgeons and things and love all those folks. Um, but I really believe in, you know, sort of my own self and my own self uh healing and um 
So I definitely evaluated it before I made the final decision to actually do the event. Um, and yeah, it was a it was a pretty quick timeline there, being three only three weeks out when I started the event. Um, there was some I did notice some bone growth. Um, I was immediately doing physical therapy. You know, one week out of it being broken, um, I was testing it uh, daily, seeing where I can go with it testing my flexibility, and then uh, I was definitely, um, you know, doing different things with wraps and um, uh, supports, you know, uh, lace-up supports and things, and I tried all these things before I actually, you know, went on the trail, and I pushed my bike through the fields with a wrap ankle in the snow, and, you know, I, I made sure that I was confident enough to do this, and, but, I'm not going to say there was a small piece in the back of my head uh, like questioning it. It certainly was a question, but um, and I always had it looming, but I felt very confident in it. Um, and I'm not sure where that comes from, but, you know, if I felt I was in a dangerous situation, I would have never went to the event. Um, and I would have evaluated it differently. So, uh yeah, I mean, that's just sort of icing on the cake. There was nothing I even spoke about before I even went to the event. Um, but, gosh, after after achieving what I did on it, um, yeah, uh, it's uh, I think it's pretty amazing. It's, it's amazing for me to realize, even. I still am like, and I, I don't often do this. I, I, I think I'm, you know, I, I don't. I think I'm a cocky person in any way, and I, I definitely, right now, say to myself, I can't believe I did that. Um, that is it's amazing. Different. It's different to be cocky and to be, I mean, you're doing this, you did the interview, you do all this different stuff, and, you know, your intent, we talked about it before the show, and, you know, it's all your intention. Like, you're not, you're sharing your experience, you know, you share it, you, you look at it, you're like, you're looking at it like everyone else, it seems, like. Wow. Awesome. Cool. I, and I am. And I, and, and, and from that, like what's pretty satisfaction from that is, is like, I know I am now a stronger person from that. Um, because of what I was able to handle and, and, and achieve and overcome. And, um, yeah, I, I say that to you now. I'm like, I'm still pretty amazed by that because it's, it's <laughs> yeah. sort of one of the, one of the things. I'm like, Jesus, Jay, you did that broken <laughs> ankle. That is sort of weird, dude. Like, yeah. wow. But I also put in the work and the mind and thought process to do it. Take it for granted. I didn't. I don't think you know. I definitely, yeah. I risked something small. I think, but I don't think I took a big risk. Um, so I, I think it's more of an educational uh, decision, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, before we get to kind of the, I guess, the next, you know, step, yep. let's talk. I just want to talk a little bit about the equipment. I mean, obviously, everybody's, yep. you know, can go online and read all the different, you know, parts and totally. fat bike is really popular now as far as, you know, <laughs> yes. So talk about that. I mean, you, you know, I want to ask you specifically about the tires and you, you went with the Dillinger's, the studded ones. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, Dude, uh, yeah, I'm a gear junkie. I'm definitely, 
you know, I'm a gear dork for sure. And I'll vouch, I'll vouch for that because a buddy and I went up to uh, last year the 24-hour race up at Yellowstone, <laughs> and Jay was there with a van full of tires. It was 60 degrees. And we were all having t- trouble going through the slush, and he's like setting these different wheels up and different, you know, with different tire combinations, different air pressure. And he's like, "Oh, try this, try this." So he's like, had it all. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. But, and I love it. And I've always been a gear junkie, and now I work in the industry, so I'm even more so, and just things have developed. But um, the gear I love, and uh, knowing what I can survive with and what I can't, uh, as far as the the equipment that's on the bike, but. The fat bikes uh, have become, they're amazing. Like, even from the very first one, and I've probably, you know, I've ridden a fair amount of different fat bikes and different geometries and things. And right now, like, you know, myself a Bear Grease rides like, you know, my summer 29er. It rides like my El Mariachi. It's uh, it's amazing in handling. Um, I think finally we're at a point, like, where, you know, chain thin lengths have been figured out and, you know, steering angles and things like that. Um, it's, you know, this particular bike is super stable, I feel, but yet very, you know, it, it just feels like a bit like a race bike and super fun and doesn't feel like this upright clown bike. Um, so, you know, I can't speak enough about that. Um, the weights of them are crazy. You know, my, my bike dry weighs 27 pounds. Um, and what, you know, what were you all packed what, up? How much were you weighed? 40, How much about weigh? 46 with some food and water. <laughs> so that's 20 pounds less than that first time that you did it. 20 pounds. <laughs> I'm sitting here laughing and giggling because it sort of really is ridiculous. But yet I can look at that kit that I brought up there and I'm like, I'm so fine with it. Like, I don't really need too much more than that if I wanted to go to Nome, to tell you the truth. So... Um, pretty neat, but, um, and then the wheels and tires are huge nowadays. Like that is really what's making these things excel what you can and can't ride. And, um, I feel if you're going to Alaska or in general, if you're riding any type of softer snow conditions, like we have here sort of in the Rockies, like definitely hundred millimeter rims. That's what I run. Um, you know, biggest footprint. You know, there's nothing wrong with a big insurance policy, right? Um, <laughs> especially when you're only talking the weight is minimal when you go up to these. And then, yeah, I was running 45 North Dillinger tires. Um, and Dillinger's being the studded tires. And um, a few recent I ran them. Like, the tread pattern on them is awesome. I mean, great grip. I know there's a lot of other tires out there with a lot of grip. But I think some of them have almost too much grip. There's some rolling resistance involved. So I think there's a really good balance with this tire. And, yep, you might be thinking studded, it's heavy. It's actually the lightest of all my tires. So how can I go wrong by being, bringing up a grippy tire with studs that's my lightest tires of all? Yeah. Um, the- I thought it was pretty sweet, actually. And would I run this setup again? Absolutely. This is, you know, I, I wouldn't change really anything if I was to do it again next year. So, um, how about a little bit wider rim? Um, you know, I've been a big, uh, pusher of that. I, I want to see it. Uh, 
but just uh, in general, and when we talk about these bikes, like I keep thinking for like I'm still waiting. It's not the weight yet, you know, because they're not getting weight. You know, my bike's still super light, but I want to get to a width that feels like proportionally like a lot of resistance. And I still don't think we're there because you pump up those hundred millimeter tires and, you know, you could still roll them pretty quick. So, um, I don't know if the industry will go there or not, but, uh, I think there's room for width yet. I don't think we've exhausted the human, you know, and, (laughs) and that's going to be that fine line, you know, like, okay, they're, they're sort of too big for, you know, where we're getting too much resistance or they're too big where the human can't really push them or only some people can. And I don't think we're there yet. Like, you know, my, you know, Tracy's ridden hundreds and they're sweet, you know? Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, you're, you guys are, you know, all five of you guys were hammering through that and equipment has to do, you know, some with that. So, yeah, I think so. I think it has to do with like a weight, you know, weight's a big thing. Carrying minimal equipment, you know, it's certainly a gamble. It's something that you got to be comfortable with. But uh, it, it, in these events, that that weight goes a long way, for sure. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I skimped out. This is the lightest I've ever went. You know, I, I've never carried a 15-degree bag up there. Um, and this is the first year I did that. But I tested it, and I was confident in it. But it, it cut my sleeping system down by two pounds. Um, to me, that's a lot. Um, yeah. So, yep, just, you know, yeah, you got to know what you're bringing and what you're capable of, and there's nothing that goes longer than that. It all comes down to that experience thing and really loving what you want to do and test it. And, and, you know, I I live in a great place that I can do that, you know. When I first started riding snow, when I first prepared for the ultra sport or I did a ride, I was just like, I was doing it in my backyard and I didn't realize the, what I had in my backyard or what I was fortunate enough with the temperatures in the winter I have here until maybe a couple years later when I started to really realize what other parts of the country have and Alaska has to offer. And I was, um, I, I still to this day feel that we have some of the best riding available to anybody and the network of trails is insane and the uh the amount of upkeep they keep on the snow machine trails and things like that and and the options that one has i, I think is incredible here in Teton Valley like so I, I often look at that and say you know i have one of the best places to do this train for this type of event you know sleep outside ride soft trails um and really apply these testing moments to the real deal if someone's going to prepare for an event like that. So, you know, I I, I think I, I don't know, just feel pretty fortunate uh, a place we chose to live that really uh, aligns with that style of riding and preparation. So, yeah. And so, you know, what's, you know, you, you mentioned you don't think you've, you know, hit your limit yet as far as the, the sleep thing and kind of where you're going and, you know, you know, I kind of go back to that online or the outside online article and you, you know, you mentioned in the end how, you know, you, you know, something like Ram where you go for a week, you know, without, with minimal sleep. So what do you think, I mean, what do you, what do you think is your limit 
you know, you know, and I ask you because if I would ask you 10 years ago, you would have said, uh, you know, maybe a day and a half or two and now you're doing this. So what do you think, you know, five years from now when we're talking again about that topic, you know, what is, what's it going to be? Dan, I'm almost scared for that moment when we talk five years from now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, like, I always say this is just a, a progression of what I've been doing and who I am. Like, I can remember uh, the scenario years before I did my first tour divide. So I did my first tour divide in 2006. Several years before that, Someone says to me, hey, Jay, you should go do the tour divide. I said, no way, dude. That thing is stupid. I wouldn't. How do you get off three weeks from work? Come on, blah, blah, blah. And now, you know, here I am, you know, done that thing four times. And, you know, I probably said the same thing about the Iditarod. Like, no, man, I'm never going to do that. That's crazy. But, you know, now here it is six times later. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure what can push me to the limit where I'm going to be happy um, or where I feel satisfied or where I feel I've been pushed the most. Um, I probably, it's probably something I really need to balance in life because I'll probably never reach that is my guess um, because I'll do one thing and always look for the next. And right now I'm not quite sure what I'm looking for, but I do, um, I, you know, you, you mentioned the RAM thing. Um, that's a great opportunity to actually push those limits of no sleep for a week and things like that. Um, as far as the um, self-supported style underground type racing that I'm more familiar with and what I do more of, uh, I don't know. Um, it would be... I would find it hard for me to push myself to the limits that, say, a RAM event can push me, um, and more or less because it's a formal race versus an informal race. Um, and, and so that's that, that's weird. I just don't know where I'm going to go. You know, in my own world, I want to. I would I would love to see, and I want to explore some more international style stuff. Um, you know, I know there's other routes across the world that are, you know, famous trade routes and things like that, that I think would be super interesting that would incorporate tons of culture. And so now all of a sudden I can take, you know, 18 years of long distance style event racing, but now incorporate um, more culture, more hiccups of border crossings. Um, that is now starting to interest me. Um, and I'm not sure where that will go. That's a, that's definitely another realm. Um, but those ideas are being a little bit entertained right now. Um, you know, and I, I feel I still have a lifetime ahead of me. Um, I'm super interested to see where that goes because my wheels are always spinning and I have a lot of ideas and different rides uh, that I'd love to do. And certainly that international flair is starting to take over a little bit. Um, but I still have drives to do, like, yeah, organized competition, especially in an event like uh, RAM or something. Um, mm. So there's just some things going forward. I, you know, I have a handful of rides planned for the year. Um, you know, on a personal level, I, you know, I'm, you know, 
still have a house, I have a mortgage, I have a wife. There's yeah. there's a life to balance. Um, there's a there's a career to to take. There's a path to take that way. Uh, I haven't quite figured that out yet. I've been a construction guy my whole life. Um, recently, in the past few years, you know, I've turned into a bike fitter and uh, being more involved in the bike industry and work at a bike shop now and have a lot to do with there. And, uh, and sort bikes, of a, do, a passion. Do a quick shout out for the bike shop too while you're at it. Yeah. So, yep, definitely Fitzgerald's bicycles. You know, they've been a great supporter, uh, previously to before I even worked with them. Um, and yeah, we're a premier shop in the, in the valley now. Um, for sure. We definitely, you know, we, a little bit of, you know, a little tagline for us at Fitzgerald's is, is adventure begins here. And that's at the shop. And, um, you know, we're sort of pretty big on the fat bikes. Uh, we definitely have been doing a lot of advocacy work for getting fat bike access, you know, going back to the fat bike summit this past winter. That's, that's stuff that's driven from the shop. Um, you know, we're, we're starting to do a lot, a lot with, uh, bike packing and actually getting a little bit more outdoor stuff, uh, that way at the shop. So that to me is obviously a passion of mine to, to now sort of bring that into my, you know, I'm, I'm influencing my job and my workforce, like where I work, I'm influencing these people to bring this into the shop. Like, I think that's really cool, um, for me and I'm happy for that. Um, so, I think there's a path where I can incorporate my passion for riding and just showing and sharing others. Obviously I'm talking with you and I do, I'll, I'll share anything all the time. Um, and you can find that stuff obviously through the Google bar. Um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, recently this year we've launched some bike packing one Oh one trips. Um, so yeah, um, you know, a three-day clinic-style bikepacking event or uh, camp where I'm going to just sort of share what I know about bikepacking and my 18 years of experiences of doing it and just giving those tips. And if I can get another person on a bike to take an adventure of their own, I, to me, that's there's a certain success involved with that. Uh, because, yeah, I, you know, I'm not going to be this young person, wiry, you know, competitor my whole life. So I think it's um, I'm starting to enter this this realm of just sharing, educating, and giving what I know. But uh, also, I'm, yeah, I'm still trying to learn myself, uh, mm-hmm. which which is really cool. Um, and you know, I, I don't know what we'll be saying five years from now. You know, it'll, <laughs> yeah. it'll be interesting to hear. <laughs> I'll have my kid in you at that point. <laughs> That'll be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so if anybody has any questions about, you know, say they want to get with the the bike packing, you know, trip, how do they? What's your email? They get a hold of you, and I'll put information in the show notes. So I'll link, you know, like Fitzgerald's. I'll put your email in there. Um, Yep. So yep. Yep. Definitely. And, uh, and I'm open to questions. And, you know, personally, like I said, like, I feel we have the Moab of snow biking, but I also feel that we have a great network of gravel, uh, roads. And so some awesome terrain for some, anything from a one-nighter to a multi-night 
back uh, bike packing experience, and um, obviously that can be done through FitzgeraldBicycles.com, and my personal email is j at FitzgeraldBicycles.com, and I am always open to questions, and I'm not going to shy away from any of them, so <laughs> just, yeah, if you have any, just shoot them my way for sure, and if you're interested in any education or any of those trips, just uh, definitely look us up. Yep, for sure. And, uh, yeah, and, and if anybody has any questions on any of this, um, and you want to know something else from Jay, you can, like he said, you know, email him or you can email me and I'll forward it on. So you can email me at ben at mountainbikeradio.com and I'll shoot it over to the, to Jay too. So, all right. Cool, Jay. Sweet. Um, we're going to, I'll, I'll have you on again in the, in the near future, I think. Um, cause we got, we have more to talk about as far as, you know, bike packing and, you sure. know, tour divides coming up and I'm, you know, that's become a pretty oh, yeah. popular, to, you know, topic to talk about. So you got some knowledge on that. Um, but yeah, cool. So I, I appreciate oh, you taking well, all the time and, you know, you're uh, yep. definitely invited back anytime. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate all that you're doing and, uh, yeah. So we'll talk next time. eh? All right. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. Cheers.